0: unscripted. Each episode is available to view on YouTube, so be sure to check us out. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Thanks for listening and enjoy
1: the show. But after the minute at 157, the fire of God came upon me. The actual Pentecost experience I learned later where it just came through the top of my head and it ran all the way through me and down to my feet. And I was utterly transformed in about three minutes because when I looked up at the microwave clock. It was exactly 2 o'clock, and I didn't know what had happened to me, but I knew I'd been changed.
0: Hey, everyone. Welcome back to Saints Unscripted. We are here today with Trey maybe more popularly known as Trey Yeshua, Absolutely. correct? yes, sir. We're going to hear a little bit about your journey today into the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. But first, let's talk about your name. Tell, tell me how we went from Trey to Trey Yeshua.
1: So I've always been known as Trey because I'm the third. And I'm one of the oldest people I've ever found that has the name Trey. But I had an incredible spiritual experience with Jesus a few years back. And in my tradition, my mother was Jewish, Yeshua is Jesus' Aramaic name. Mm-hmm. And during that experience, he basically said to me, he said, let's share our names, Trey Yeshua. So it's mm-hmm. T-R-E-Y-E-S-H-U-A. Because according to John 14, 20, which I have on my Facebook page as the lead scripture, he lives in the Father, the Father lives in him. We live in him. I live in him. So I live in Christ. Christ lives in me.
0: Yeah. And I mean, when we're baptized, we all kind of symbolically take upon ourselves the name of Christ. You took it a step further.
1: And that's what's weird about. This happened, I believe, before I was ever baptized into Mm. our church. So yeah. So I go to the church and they're saying about taking on the name of Christ. I'm like, wow, I've been using it on Facebook for a while now. And now I use it on my email as well. Right on. It's designed also, I think, to provoke gospel conversations because that's what I love to talk about. That's why I'm wearing my shirt. Let's talk about Jesus. And you've got one now, too.
0: I've got one now, too. And I will grow into it one day. <laughs> All right. So let's backtrack then. Let's go. We're going to start at about the age of 10 for you. Yeah. Or
1: we can actually go a little bit. Before birth, because my mother, is uh, her last name's Goldsmith. She came from a Jewish family. Okay. But she converted to Catholicism before she ever had me. Okay. So I was actually raised as a Catholic, even cool. though I had Jewish roots. And our family life was really affected by the Jewish background, because this was the early 60s when there was still a fair amount of anti-Semitism. It actually impacted our family because of my mother's Jewish roots. But my first memorable spiritual experience was about 10 years old. I'd been raised a Catholic, and I was at Camp St. Malo in Ellens Park, Colorado, which is the home of a really famous church. I think it's called Church on the Rock. It's one of the most visited Catholic churches in the whole country. Well, I was there for the daily Mass, and I just had some sort of wild experience with Jesus. And during that experience... I feel like I left the chapel that day with a covenant. The covenant was that I would get to live to be at least 100 years old, and I would get to experience everything there was to experience in this life before I go. So if you know my whole life story, you would understand. He's done a good job of delivering on that. I'm not 100 years old yet, though. I'm only 60, so we'll see if we make it or not.
0: Sounds good. So, so when were you introduced to the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints?
1: Only about four years ago. Really? So there was a lot more experiences that came along. Yeah, we gotta,
0: back to that. Let's, yeah we've got to cover some ground. Let's do that.
1: So... In high school, I kind of fell away from all spirituality, as often people at that age do. And in college, I certainly fell away. And then in my 20s, I was way far away. Mm. I was dedicated to a new God that I would found. And the God, I think, is called money. So I had a very successful business career between the ages of about 20 and 30. I owned a pizza delivery company. having about 100 stores of which most of them were franchises owned by others and most of that money didn't actually go to me I went to my high school doubles partner who started that part of it mm. but I had about 15 stores of my own and I made a lot of a lot of dough I had couple airplanes Porsche Mercedes the whole the whole thing going on early on and but which
0: I, what was the name of the franchise so
1: I was called Pizza Pros with the stores I owned and the franchise was under the name Pizza Time most of them were in the Pacific Northwest mm,
0: okay so I learned at an early age,
1: though, that money doesn't buy happiness. I was absolutely miserable. I was the most miserable young millionaire in the world. Even with all the stuff I had, I didn't have a strong relationship with Christ then, if any relationship. But even as I didn't have a strong relationship with him, he was clearly watching over me because I came real close to dying a couple of times in those airplanes. So, And this is, his grace. are we in the 80s? Yeah, here? we're in the 80s okay. now. Yeah. So I sold out most of my empire at the end of the 80s, beginning of the 90s, and decided to work on my family. I got married, had kids, and then after the first kid, I had the first really major spiritual experience of my adult life. I was about 31 years old, and... Just living for money, thinking, I kind of subscribed to Ayn Ayn Rand's philosophy of selfishness Mm. and thought that was the reason I'd done so well for those 10 years. But Mm -hmm. in fact, an old man came into my uh, pizza store that I still had at the time, and he explained to me that everything I'd done in life wasn't from selfishness, it was because of love. He said, the only reason your empire grew so big so fast was because you're putting love out with every pizza. And I realized that was true and practically had a mental breakdown over it, realizing I'd lived for the wrong thing and the wrong purpose for all those years. So I ended up joining a charismatic church then in the Dallas area, and we were there for many years, and it was uh, better. We had had a great time with our kids, Uh, my wife then, and and, uh, I helped start a couple of Christian schools in the Dallas area, so she still works at one of them. But then... Something really tragic happened. We were sitting in our church in about 2002, and the pastor was recounting all the problems that most families have, health issues, financial issues, relationship issues, and we're looking at one another saying, wow, we've been spared all that. I wonder why. Well, the next few weeks, our son was diagnosed with a brain tumor. And he passed in 2005 with a brain tumor after three years of a lot of pain and a lot of suffering and a lot of stress on our relationship and our relationships with God. And unfortunately, my wife at the time, we'd been together for, I don't know how many years by then, uh, probably over 20 years. She kind of ran away from God. I ran to God. So I started a routine of going to two or three churches every single weekend. And in fact, on one of those weekends, I went to this very strange church called the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. This was at a building on 121 in the Dallas area. And I came back to my wife and I said, you know, there's something really different about this church. We need to check it out.
0: What, What was different about it?
1: The people understood I was a visitor immediately, and I didn't understand how that worked, but now I do because people in the wards know one another. So mm-hmm. if you come as an outsider, and if you come dressed a little different, and you come with some different questions. And I ended up uh, taking the missionaries out to IHOP after that encounter and having them explain more to me about the church. I really wanted to check into it, but my wife had wanted no part of it. She was still part of the uh, hierarchy in an evangelical Christian school, and uh, she's still there now. So she said something kind of prophetic. She said, well, you can do that right after we get a divorce. Unfortunately, Whoa. about seven years later, we did get a divorce because we, uh, the spiritual incompatibility was just an issue. Uh, and I never thought twice about it, though, because if she didn't want to do it, uh, the missionaries called me back once, and I said, my wife is against this, and they said, okay, we respect
0: that. So question. Yeah. So you mentioned that your wife after the passing of your son, was kind of running away from God. Yeah. Yet she was still a leader in an evangelical church. Absolutely, yeah. So how does that work? Did she believe in God or did she not?
1: She believed in God, but she couldn't believe that God would do what he Mm. did to us, that we would lose our wonderful son, perfect son. I mean, over a thousand people came to his funeral. He died the same week that Hurricane Katrina hit New Orleans, which is where I'm from. Uh he was a saint. I mean there's no other way to describe it. Yeah. Uh, you know, you, you hear about these wonderful, perfect sounding Latter day Saint families where the kid is the valedictorian and the everything and, and that was this that was T J. Yeah. He was the he was the all star at everything he did. He was the most amazing kid ever.
0: So did she have an issue with you visiting all these other churches or was it just the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints? Or
1: It was mainly the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints because that was the one church that if we changed to, she would lose her job and her career. Even. She
0: would lose her job? Oh, yeah,
1: because she was still at the evangelical church at the time. Okay. I mean, not evangelical, school.
0: Right, like, right. Church, yeah. Okay.
1: So, yeah. So, by that time, I'd i stopped working because I still had, you know, stuff left over from pizza days and I didn't need to work. I was just full on pursuing God the
0: whole time. Okay. So, you took the missionaries out to IHOP? Yeah.
1: I took them out to IHOP and uh, I kind of wondered about some of the things they said. They talked about things happening in Central America and all. I said, where's the evidence of that? and uh, I I was pretty skeptical. So, you know, my full given name is Thomas. So uh, I grew up hearing about Doubting Thomas. You've heard of him from the Bible, right? Sure. sure. So that's me. I'm a Doubting Thomas. And and part of the reason my testimony is likely so robust is because I am a Doubting Thomas. Most normal people that would have encountered the truth as many times as I did through my life would have latched onto it much earlier than age 57 or whatever it was when I got baptized here. Because when I look back on my life now, I had encounters with latter-day saints every time i turned around our homes even were often located within a block or two of an lds meeting house the whole way so the destiny was there you know we never drank uh, coffee we never drank tea we we basically lived the latter-day saint lifestyle our whole lives without being latter-day saints
0: yeah So you didn't get baptized at this time when you met with the missionaries at IHOP, though?
1: No, no. I shut it down pretty
0: immediately. So then what happened?
1: I kept visiting other churches, and I ended up actually falling back into a tradition of my forefathers, which is the Messianic Church. Some great Messianic churches out there, particularly in Dallas and Denver, which were the two places that I kind of shuttled between. And I loved the worship of Messianic churches. If you haven't been to a really good Messianic church, I would say you haven't hardly been to church. It's just amazing. Mm-hmm. They sing, they dance, they you know uh, speak the word in Hebrew. It's just just an amazing experience. And through that, though, I I kind of fell away from a lot of the other Protestant traditions because they were preaching a gospel that just didn't sound like good news. Mm-hmm. A gospel that says some people are going to heaven, but most of y'all are going to hell. <laughs> and once you get to hell, you're there forever, and it's eternal conscious torment.
0: Yeah.
1: Well, I did find a great pastor in Denver, uh, Peter Hyatt of the Sanctuary, though, that teaches against that. He teaches what he calls four-point Calvinism instead of five-point. He doesn't believe that hell is a place of eternal suffering. He believes that hell is an, you know, Temporary way stop where you can maybe learn more about Jesus. So then you can move on to some hmm. degree of heaven. That sounds Yeah, somewhat sounds totally familiar. Familiar. so Then I found there was a whole group of people that believe like him uh, William Paul young the guy that wrote the shack are you familiar with the shack at all?
0: I've heard of it. Yeah,
1: very similar to Peter Hyatt Brad Jersak, he's an uh, Orthodox uh, pastor up in Canada There's just a whole group of Christians out there that believe essentially Latter-day Saint doctrine without realizing it's Latter-day Saint doctrine. Mm. And these are the relationships I'm really trying to maintain right now and get these guys to realize, hey, you don't have to be alone on this. You don't have to be, you know, Don Quixote and Sancho Pons out there tilting at windmills all along. You've got the greatest church in the world that's ready to take you in, and, and, and you'll fit right in right away.
0: Yeah, interesting yeah okay so you're visiting other churches still yeah when do we circle back
1: so uh so we're up to about 2013 i get divorced i start living almost permanently in denver versus in dallas and attending the sanctuary and the messianic churches both at the same time uh, because messianics generally meet on saturday this is a
0: messianic jewish Uh, yeah yeah. okay Uh, uh, uh,
1: Jewish synagogue that believes in Jesus. Okay. yeah. So I'm attending those for a number of years. And then I got up to about 2016, and in 2016 I just started having remarkable spiritual encounters just on a routine basis where I just had, felt the Spirit flowing through me. And it was basically because I changed my lifestyle. I finally got serious about the Gospel in 2016. When I found people that were hungry, I gave them food. When I found people that needed shelter, I gave them shelter. I had three homeless people living in my house at one time. When I found people that needed any kind of love, I started giving them love. And the more I reached out to Jesus, the more he reached back to me, and the more spiritual experiences I had. Finally, on January 26, 2017, at one fifty-seven in the afternoon, I'd been at my computer corresponding with Peter Hyatt, the pastor of the sanctuary there, And I realized, I think I passed this guy up on some sort of stairway to heaven. I said, I love Peter more than anybody in this world because he does a great job. He's a real well-known, influential Protestant pastor. But I think there's things I can teach him. So I offered myself up to him. I wrote an email. It was only one line. And in the email it said, Peter... I'm willing to give up the spirit in me to give it to you so you can reach more people because you have this big audience worldwide. You have this big reputation. If you can reach more people, I'll be fine. For about a minute, the room got dark and cold and scary. But after the minute, at 157, the fire of God came upon me. The actual Pentecost experience I learned later, where it just came through the top of my head and it ran all the way through me and down to my feet. And I was utterly transformed in about three minutes because when I looked up at the microwave clock, it was exactly two o'clock. And I didn't know what had happened to me, but I knew I'd been changed. I heard the Lord's voice then. He said, No greater love does a man have than... And to give up his life for a friend. And that's what I'd offered, not my physical life, but my spiritual life to Peter Hyatt. And I was just so changed. Uh, the voices in my head started pointing out Bible verses and stuff that I'd never really understood, and suddenly I had an understanding. But I, but I still was unsure of what had happened. So I spent the next nine or ten weeks scouring the Internet looking for people that had had similar experience. And I came upon a term called the baptism of fire. And I hadn't really had any knowledge of that before, but about 50% of the people that testified to the baptism of fire were a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Mm -hmm. And it didn't really hit me, though, because that was impossible to me, because I just finished reading a book that fall by somebody named Wilder, who used to be a BYU professor, and she pointed out all the evil things about the church and how it wasn't possibly anything to do with the real church. So I was very anti-Latter-day Saint at the time. But I did start looking into some people like Todd White. He's a real popular Protestant preacher that has these big wooden dreadlocks and he testifies to the baptism of fire. And I started running around the country looking for the truth. I ended up up at Bethel Church in Redding, California where a lot of our contemporary Christian music comes from and had amazing spiritual experiences up there. But still, it wasn't the whole truth and I sensed that even then. Finally, part of the story that got me here today I'm on my business trip my business in Dallas my home was in Denver actually Idaho Springs 30 miles west of Denver where this all happened and I wake up one morning and I heard the voice of God clearer than I'd ever heard it now I was the only person in the room so I can't say it was an audible voice of God to anybody but me but he said Trey you've been to a hundred different churches in the last 10 years it's time to join my church And I said, which church is that? And he said, the one with my name on it. So I had to think for a while, I'd been to a lot of churches, which one had his name on it? And then I thought, could it be the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints? And he said, yep, that's it. Hmm. So I rolled out of my bed and went over to my computer and there was a website at the time called mormon.org because this is before president nelson you know changed the name of the church kind of permanently and i said send me some missionaries and a few hours later i was at a different ihop uh, this one in irving texas telling the story to a couple of young elders and saying i'm here i'm ready to be baptized i've heard the voice of god this is apparently the true church i don't know much about it i've only been in the door once I read parts of the Book of Mormon in a Marriott hotel room about 15 years ago. <laughs> I said, but that's that's all I know, but sign me up. And they said, well, it doesn't work that quick. You need to do, jump through a few hoops. Two days later, we were in front of the state president and telling him the same story. And he explained that since my home was in Denver and my business was in Dallas, I was better off getting baptized up in Colorado. Mm -hmm. So when I got back to Colorado about a week later, I met with a couple of sister missionaries. And these sister missionaries were two of the most wonderful people I'd ever met. This was uh, Sister Nicoletta from the Philippines and Sister Zerberg from Michigan. And they guided me through the process that took eight or nine weeks. And there was some crazy resistance along the way. Things mm-hmm. that uh, we never anticipated coming up came up. Mm-hmm. So I ended up being baptized on July 8th, 2017, which is Joseph Smith Sr.'s birthday. Mm-hmm. And what's kind of cool about that is my full name, including my mother's maiden name, is Thomas Joseph Gold Smith the mm-hmm. third. So look whose name is in the middle of my name. So it ended up being, according to the people there, both one of the best attended baptisms and longest baptisms that they'd ever (laughs) experienced. Because my son was so late, because he'd gotten the time mixed up, we ended up seeing a whole lot of hymns waiting for him to show <laughs> up, and why there were so many people there, I don't know. There was just a lot of people there. The Relief Society room was pretty full. So by that time, I'd always been waiting for, for something to happen bad. I thought, okay, this this is too good to be true. This church can't be everything I've ever dreamed of. Back. Five years earlier, when I'd been at one of the biggest churches in America, Gateway Church in the Dallas area, I'd approached the senior leadership about reorganizing their entire pastoral staff so it was focused on people instead of programs. I said, if you could have pastors over, say, about 300 people each instead of over programs, it would be much more personal. As a matter of fact, I called it the personal pastor, not a program, something like that. And they gave serious consideration to it. Here I end up with the Latter-day Saints, and guess what? That's pretty much how it's organized. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. (laughs) And, And instead of finding the big disappointment that I was ready for, the more I learned about the church, the better and better it got. You've got people working in ecclesiastical positions that aren't getting paid, that aren't selling books, that aren't trying to build their own brand, Amazing! <laughs> You've got people that are truly focused on Jesus and serving others. Amazing. Yeah. So, about a year later, almost exactly a year later, I was uh, endowed in the uh, Provo City Center Temple, and that was a miracle. There, five of the six sister missionaries who helped me through the process back in Colorado were able to attend, and ever since then. I just live a life of signs, wonders, and miracles. It's almost too good to be true even now. Even last week at my new ward in the Park City area, brother got up to talk, and he talked about some of the miracles that happened in his life, and I just started weeping because here was a guy testifying to the same large-scale miracles that I've seen, so I wasn't so alone anymore. One of the miracles he testified to is when he was 15 years old, his family had traveled through Carthage and he got a spiritual experience there that told him this is going to be where he served his mission. Well, five years later, whenever he got his mission call, it was actually for St. Louis and St. Louis didn't include Carthage. Mm-hmm. So he walked into his interview with his mission president on the first day and said, I'm sorry, but I was sent to the wrong mission. I'm supposed to go to Carthage. And he said the mission president had a swivel chair, and he swiveled around in his chair and stared out the window for about five minutes. And after five minutes, he turned back around, and he was weeping. And he said, I just got a letter from the first presidency, and they've dissolved that mission, and Carthage is now part of this mission, and that's where I'm assigning you. Wow. So, And this man had three other stories of similar large-scale miracles. So... You know, my message to our viewers is that, that miracles happen, mm-hmm. and they happen in large ways. I've seen so many miracles in the last four years since joining the church that I know Philippians is true, where it says, with God, anything is possible. As, as close as you want to get to him, he'll come to you. He'll move mountains for you. He'll, he'll make things happen. Yeah. It's just a matter of serving others is, yeah. the, is the real key. Because when you're in service of others, you're in service of our God. I think that's somewhere in that, what's it called? The Book of Mormon. <laughs> and, and I don't even know that I've read the entire Book of Mormon yet to tell you the truth. But when I need to speak Scripture, it comes to me, So as mm. it did just now. So another true Scripture, you know, that don't worry about what you'll testify. Know that the Lord will give you the words when it's time to testify. Because some Scripture I do remember pretty good is where it says, We are saved by the blood of the Lamb, and the word of our testimony, Mm. and the word of our testimony. And that's where, I don't want to lay fault on anybody, but when I think of all the Latter-day Saints I met in all those years before becoming a Latter-day Saint, I'm thinking, some of them could have testified a little bit better. <laughs> maybe we could have started this trip a little bit earlier. Maybe. Mm-hmm. but but it all gains toward a better testimony. But it also gains toward better repentance. Yeah. Because I have to repent of the fact that it took me fifty-seven, or if you start at age ten, forty-seven years to truly come under Christ. And I chased down every you know rabbit hole you can imagine for forty-seven years. I I, I, I've been to churches that are part of you know, the health and wealth tradition, I've been to churches that are part of any number of traditions, but none of them felt right, none of them had the truest gospel. The true gospel is here, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Latter- Saints, the true gospel with living prophets and apostles, and more important than living prophets and apostles is the living God. Mm-hmm. So many of these churches worship scripture. I love scripture, but let's not worship scripture. Let's worship the God that wrote the scripture, the God that inspired men to write the scripture. That's that's the real deal.
0: Amen. Yeah. Big miracles happen. Little miracles happen as well. I'm looking forward to what comes after this life when we can maybe look back and see all the little miracles that we didn't recognize at the time.
1: And it's all about recognizing miracles because when I look back on the Jewish tradition, it says expect 100 miracles a day. And I think the will of God, the character of God, is fully divulged in the first few paragraphs, even of Scripture. In the beginning, God created. We know everything we need to know right there. God is a creator. Mm. So, we have been given the privilege of becoming co-creators. So, if you take a look at what you're doing, you don't really have to judge good and evil. Just judge creation versus destruction. Are you creating something, or are you destroying something? There's times when you have to destroy to create, though, too, because Romans 8.2.8, from infinity to infinity, the symbol 8 to the symbol 8. All things work for good to those who love the Lord and are called according to His purpose. So things that may look like destruction today, and believe me, I've dealt with some of those the last few years, those things get torn down because God continually builds bigger and better things up. And you just have to ride that out. You have to go through those challenges and realize if something bad's happening today, that's because something even better is going to happen tomorrow.
0: Trey Yeshua, thank you for joining us today. Thank you for your story. Do you have any final thoughts before we wrap up for our viewers?
1: Uh, That God is better than you know. As much as you can imagine about the goodness of God, He is better than you can possibly imagine. The limits of your imagination are the limits of the goodness of God. So the more you believe, the better He becomes and the better your life in Him, through Him, with Him is.
0: Amen, brother. Make sure to subscribe to the channel if you haven't yet. If they have questions for you, how can they contact you?
1: So, Trey Yeshua Tumany is the last name is on Facebook. I'm the only Trey Yeshua in the whole world. If you look that up, you find me pretty interesting name. In fact, I'm the only one with the name of Tommy in the whole church as far as I know. i the
0: first convert from my family line. If you want to talk about Jesus, he's your guide. Thanks for listening. If you want to watch our videos, check us out on YouTube or shoot us a message on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter.